Ever felt like you were, though? Incredible song. Even if, oh my soul, two of my favorite. We're setting a tone today. It would be different for you this morning if you were in Houston. It would be different for you this morning if you were in Florida. It would be different for you this morning listening to the songs, hearing that song, if you had lived through some of the storms in some of the islands in the Caribbean. But one of the things that I know about life is that at some point or the other, many of us will go through deep valleys. At some point or the other, some of us will have an uncertain day, an uncertain week, an uncertain year, and maybe even an uncertain life. There are a lot of us here this morning whose life has gone incredibly well. And some of us here this morning whose life haven't gone exactly as you had anticipated. And some of the things you never thought you would go through, you're now going through. Some of the things you thought you would get through, you're still in. And so when you hear songs like that, you really recognize the power of that because it's not a matter of how you doing, okay, thanks for coming, let's have lunch. It's a matter of looking deep down in my soul and saying, things aren't quite right deep down in who I am. We've been in a series over the last number of months since the beginning of May in Old Testament characters who have as much to say to us now as when they were writing it or living it. And this morning is one of those. I'm going to use David as a model this morning and next Sunday morning in two different extremes. There are times in David's life like you experience next Sunday morning when he would say, I cannot wait to go to church. I get to sing. I can't wait. Man, open the doors. Hurry up. Open the doors. I want to get in. I want to sing. I want to celebrate. I cannot wait to go and share and sing with the people of God. Let me ask you, how you doing? You ask me how I'm doing. I've got some great things to tell you about what God's done in my life. I just want to give him praise. And there are other times in David's life where he said, I don't want to talk to anyone. Don't ask me how I'm doing. I may tell you. God, where on earth are you? Why would you let me go through this? Why would you now let me experience this? I, I, I follow you. I follow you anywhere. But I need to know where you're at. Now, maybe none of you this morning can relate to either of those extremes. I got to believe that every once in a while on a Sunday morning you say, I can't wait to go to church. I get to sing, I get to celebrate. And i got to believe that every once in a while, there's a Sunday morning when you wake up and say, I don't want to go. I don't want anybody to ask me how I'm doing. Anybody relate to either extreme? All right, three of you. All of a sudden, you find that your life has changed in a moment. Maybe a phone call from a friend, a doctor, the police, or a child. And in the moment of that phone call, everything changed. Listen to the news over the last number of days, obviously, for those who have been living through the uncertainty and unbelievable turmoil in Houston and their lives are still not back together again. And then all of a sudden, those on the east coast of Florida thinking it's coming their way, batted down the hatches, everybody is okay, it's going to happen on that side, not on our side. Now all of a sudden, less than 24 hours, it's coming our way, it's going to be on us, I don't know how to get out. And I don't know if I do, if I'll make it, and if I come back, I don't know what will be left. And it happened pretty quick. 
At some point or the other, many of us, either if we have been there, we will be. Maybe not to any extreme, but certainly in those days where I just don't know what's going to happen next. David has been there. He's the character that I choose to use today and next Sunday morning as one who really understands what it's like to be in both extremes. David had been anointed by Samuel to be the next king of Israel after Saul. Saul had let God down dramatically. And Samuel now has anointed David to be the next king of Israel. But a funny thing happened on the way to the throne. It was a long period of dryness. Previous king, Saul got jealous and tried to kill David. From that point on, not only did Saul's life crumble, but David took a dramatic turn. He almost lost his life. Saul threw a spear at him. He certainly lost his job as the court musician. Saul would marry off his wife-to-be to someone else. In 1 Samuel 19, he runs to Samuel himself, that father figure in David's life. Saul chases him there. He runs away. Soon after that, Samuel dies, and now David loses his spiritual father. He goes in the next chapter, chapter 20, to his best friend Samuel, or Jonathan. Saul chases him there. Because of the uncertain relationship with David and Saul, Jonathan realizes he's got to step out of the picture and no longer can be associated with David, who, by the way, was the absolute best friend he had as well. And soon after that, Jonathan dies. So he loses his job, loses his wife, loses his mentor, and loses his best friend. That's a bad day. In the very next chapter, he runs to another country. In chapter 21, he goes and eventually ends up in Gath. In chapter 21 of 1 Samuel, by that day, David fled from Saul. He went to Asius, king of Gath. Servants of Asius said to him, isn't that David, the king of Israel? Isn't he the one they used to sing about? Saul has slain his thousand, David his tens of thousand. David took those words to heart, really, because they were true. I mean, he really had taken on every enemy of God and won in remarkable ways. And now all the accolades that Saul used to have are now coming to David. And he finds himself here not knowing what to do and afraid. So he pretended to be insane. Asia said to his servants, look at the man. He's insane. Why'd you bring him here? You know who else is from Gath? Goliath. At a high point in David's life, he takes on Goliath with a slingshot and a stone. And now at this point, he runs for his life. In chapter 22, David left Gath, escaped to the cave of Adullam. His brothers and father find out about it, and they go down to him there. And then verse 2, this is the fascinating piece of this. In verse 2, all those who were in distress or in debt or discontented gathered around him. Now, that's a group of people you want to associate with, right? Who did be gay? Hey, anybody who's really upset with anybody else, who doesn't like anybody, who's really discontented, really disgruntled, come on, let's have a fun time together. Those are the people that gather around him, and he becomes their leader, about 400 men, it says in verse 2. David once had fame, power, and promise. Now, nothing. No throne, only a cave filled with misfits. You ever been in a place in your life when it didn't go as expected? In your sermon notes this morning, I hope you've already taken them out. I've given you a, a number of reasons we get there. Sometimes it really is the result of other people's decisions. I was driving along, someone else drove drunk. And now my life has been changed. 
We tried to do our absolute best, but our kids have made horrible decisions, and now we're paying the price. Emotionally, financially, and in many times any other way. Wasn't your fault. You did your best. You tried as hard as you knew how. You read the paper this weekend. There were some stories as well of parents who tried to do their absolute best, and their children made some horrible decisions, and it really has changed their life forever. Company downsized. You thought you were going to be there for a long period of time. You thought maybe you'd retire there, and now all of a sudden they downsized. You lost your job, and you're 53 years old. What are you going to do now? I still got to provide for my family. I want to do the best that I know how. We still have a mortgage to pay. We've got a lot of bills that are uncertain, and I'm 58 years old. Where am I going to go now? Who will hire me? Well, not necessarily always things we have done that gotten us there. Sometimes it's somebody else's decision. Sometimes it is our fault. Sometimes it's sins we have committed. Moses found himself 40 years waiting to be used by God because he made a decision to kill somebody else out of anger. And for the next 40 years, paid a price. Sometimes you're where you are because of really bad choices. And sometimes it's just one choice that changed everything. Sometimes it's the enemy, Satan and spiritual warfare. Job, will talk about in a moment, certainly didn't know why. But if you read the story, and obviously you have the opportunity, as I do, to see the, un the story begin to unpack. And we realize that it was Satan who was after him. Peter very clearly reminds us, I need you to know right now, you've got somebody after you. And he's not out just to trip you up or give you a flat tire so you're late to church or make your alarm clock not go off so you get late in a church service on a Sunday morning. I need you to know he's out to kill you. I want you to be aware of that. And finally, sometimes, as hard as it is to really process and understand, sometimes it really is God's plan. Sometimes God's works best in those difficult moments. Sometimes in the deepest of valleys is when we experience God the most. He works differently than we do, sometimes a lot slower than we would. You see, it's more about who you're becoming than where you're at. It's more about who we're becoming than where we're going. It's more about who we are inside and what God's doing and what we allow Him to do than sometimes the circumstances around me. Sometimes God in your sermon notes does His best work in those difficult times, time when I have no one or nothing else to rely on but God. Was to be honest with you, it was a really good place to be. David's going to spend the next few years in situations like this, going from place to place and cave to cave, and that's a long time. So often we read Scripture and we turn the page and we think, well, the next chapter is here, and so a couple of days later he's there, and a couple of days later he goes back to Jonathan, and then he leaves and Jonathan's there, and he goes to Gath the next page the next day. But these stories unfold for years. Sometimes they go pretty quick. Many times they don't. To be honest with you, it's really hard to live in those dark valleys when we have no idea what's going on in life and don't have any answers. I can go for a day or a week, maybe in that uncertain moment. I can wait for a little while to find out what's going on. And if I at least know there's something at the end of the tunnel, I can get there to the other side. But years But that's exactly what David finds himself in. In your sermon notes, I have a great line. It's in those times when you have no answers and no certainty as to when the next area is going to come or 
when the real light is going to be at the end of the tunnel is when your theology goes from spiritual cliches to convictions. That's when you have the opportunity to see your theology goes from spiritual cliches. When God closes a door, he opens a window to reality and deep conviction. A song we sang this morning, Even If, is probably been a song that has driven my life for the last number of months. I absolutely love that song. I chose it this morning because that and oh my soul, I wanted to set a tone for where we're at in the context of these messages. And Mercy Me and Casting Crowns, the two songs we shared this morning, are phenomenal in being able to express what sometimes you feel deep in your soul. The song that I chose not to sing is Job's song. The Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. I don't like that song. But it is true. And what I have to decide is, will I believe in either thing? I like it when he gives. I really don't like it when he takes away. But even when he doesn't come through the way I wish he would and the way I want him to, will my foundation be shaken and crumble? Or even if, will I trust you no matter what? Just when you think it can't get worse for David's life, it does. 1 Samuel chapter 30 is where I want to spend the rest of our time with this morning. A couple of other places. David and his men reach Ziglag. They've been fighting battles all along. The time frame has gone on pretty significantly. Now the Amalekites had raided Negev and Ziglag, and they attacked them, burned it, taken captive all the men and the women, both who were in it, both young and old, killed no one, but they carried them off as they went their way. When David and his men came to Ziglag, they found it destroyed by fire and their wives and their sons and their daughters taken captive. You can say what you want about me. Don't touch my kids. You can say what you want about me. Don't touch my wife. That's my bride, my princess. You can talk about me anyway. Nobody does, I'm just saying. But if you did, I'm okay with that. But don't mess with my wife and don't mess with my kids. Every mom knows that, right? You can do with me what you want, but don't touch my kids. And now they find themselves, he lost his friend, he lost his mentor, he lost his job, he lost his self-respect, and now he loses his family. God, that's a lot. And what do you do? Verse 4, they wept with his men until they had no strength left. Ever been there? I don't think I can cry anymore, David would say. I mean, every emotion that I had, I unpacked. What do you do in situations like that? I have a few options for you this morning. One is, in your sermon notes, be very careful to avoid blaming. Be very careful to avoid blaming. You're going to question, I know I have, God, this doesn't make sense. Why did this happen? Did I do something? Did I miss hearing your voice? Did I take a wrong turn somewhere? Why me? I mean, it's been a pretty big year. Been a pretty tough thing. If I just flip the calendar over to 2018, all of that will go away, right? 2018 will be awesome. God, what's going on? That's normal to have questions. What we have to be careful with is how long we stay there. We're pointing and pushing and talking and pointing somewhere else when maybe there's some things that we need to do inside, which I want to spend most of my time with this morning is number two. Be honest about how you feel. 
When you're going through deep waters that don't make sense, that are uncertain, and it's been a long time, be really honest with God about how you feel, which is exactly what David does. He laments. The thing you also notice in here, and we won't spend a bulk of our time on this morning. Remember last Sunday morning when I talked to you about Nehemiah and how well he led up? Leadership also has a lot to do with self-leadership. And David, as Nehemiah gave us a clinic, clinic last Sunday morning on leading up, David gives us a clinic on self-leadership. Because in verse 6, when the men with him needed to be led, his peers who were equal with him needed to be led, those that his, his family needed to be led somewhere, where verse 6 says, David strengthened himself in the Lord. Before I can really lead those that are peers, before I can really lead up, before I can really lead those that are following me, I need to make sure that everything inside is okay. Which many times we'll have to do number three, and that is to choose to trust God. Which is not always a new way of thinking, it really becomes a new way of living. Spend some time in self-examination. Is my voice open to the Spirit of God? Is my ears really hearing from you? Are there areas in my life that I have left unyielded? Do I need counseling? Do I need help? Times when we allow God to form Christ in us and allow us to become what he designed us to be. And sometimes he does that best when I walk through really deep waters. What does number two look like? David, again, probably is the best. They wept aloud until they had no strength. Times in life when it's really important to be honest about how I feel. Psalm 142 is one of those psalms that David expresses his heart and soul to God. There are psalms of praise, psalms of instruction, psalms of thanksgiving that we'll talk about next Sunday morning. But there are a lot of psalms of lament. A whole book is written called Lamentations. Psalms where the people of God, and especially David, tell God honestly how they feel. A pastor friend of mine says, come to God as you are, not as you ought to be or wish you were, but as you are. Because some of the greatest experiences with God come when I'm absolutely honest with Him, not when I'm just trying to be religious or sound good. If I were to walk around this morning in the lobby and ask you how you're doing, most of you would say, I'm all right. Everything okay? Yep. Having a good day? Yeah, I am. Having your devotions this morning? Sure did. Let's do lunch. Okay. If I ask you how you really are, Probably only a few would really honestly tell me how you really are. I got one person in my life who many people I have in my life. How you doing? How's the family? How's the kids? How's the church? How's your staff? You know, number of questions. I have one person, one and only one person in my life who said, how's your soul? And all of a sudden, the conversation changes pretty dramatically there. Because I can tell them how my family is, how my kids are, how the church is, how whatever. But when he asked me, how's my soul, then I realized he wants me to be deeply honest about how I feel. Not just a religious answer, the past Sunday morning answer, but the honest answer about what I really feel, which is why, even so and even if, and the song we sang a little bit ago with Brad is so powerful. Psalm 142 said, I cry aloud to the Lord. I lift up my voice to the Lord for mercy. I pour out my complaint to him before I'm telling him all my trouble. When my spirit grows faint within me, it's, it's you who knows my way and the path where I walk. Men have hidden a snare for me, by the way. I look to my right and I see no one is concerned for me. I have no refuge. No one seems to care for my life. I cry to you, O Lord. You are my refuge, my portion in the land of the living. Listen to my cry. I'm in desperate need. 
Rescue me from those who pursue me. They're too strong for me. Set me free from my prison that I may praise your name. Then the righteous will gather around me because of your goodness. Probably nobody in all of Scripture understands that any more than Job. Probably the most familiar verse is the one that I shared with you a moment ago. In Job 1.21, after he lost literally everything, the Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Incredible verse. Very hard to live out. It's an incredible response, but if you only stop there, you'll miss some of the deep emotions that Job went through. Write down in your sermon notes somewhere, Job chapter 10. I reread it again this morning, and I thought, I don't know that I could be that honest with God. But Job gives us a model, as does David, of how to really let it all out, to tell God exactly how I feel. When we go through those deep waters, which may be no one in the room but three people, but use it as a model to say, when I'm there, if I'm there, if I'm there, or when I get there, I will at least have the, the platform to be that honest with God. And Job in chapter 10 really lets it out. You'll also notice, and I can't go away from this, he gets some unwanted advice from his so-called friends, even his wife, just curse God and die. There's somebody you want to give you advice of. When your friends or family members or acquaintances are going through deep, deep valleys, I'm not talking about just a tough day or a tough week, but really deep valleys, I want to give you just a couple of pieces of advice that I see in Job. Be very careful and very wise about the advice you give. Choose your words and your advice carefully. Remember what I said a moment ago, the Lord gives, the Lord takes away, blessed be the name of the Lord. They may not be ready to hear that. That verse, and we know all things work together for good to those who love him, who are called according to his name. Perfect verse. They may not be quite ready to hear that. And you also got to remember the platitudes. When God opens the door, he closes the window. When God closes the door, he opens the window. That's not in the Bible. And to be honest with you, it doesn't always happen that way. Often people get some mixed messages from very well-meaning people. When you have friends or family members or acquaintances going through really deep valleys, choose your advice carefully and wisely. may want to hold off on that story. may want to wait for a little while. Fascinating around people all the time who are going through really deep waters for a variety of reasons. And every once in a while, just be in a background, I hear somebody have a conversation and somebody is unloading about what they have gone through and the cancer they've felt and what it's done to their body and the emotions they're dealing with. And then I'll hear somebody say, yeah, you know what? I got a mole removed one time and I remember what it was like going through that. And I'm sitting there going, no, you don't. <laughs> they don't even match at all. Just be careful with the advice we give. Use it wisely and well. James 1.19, also write that down in your sermon notes. James says, hey, my friends, let me give you some good advice. Be quick to listen and slow to speak. That's pretty good advice. Be quick to listen and slow to speak. Jesus probably said it best when he said, just give them a cup of cold water. Sometimes they just need somebody to listen and somebody to be there and somebody to be around them. Job lets it all out and God, the end, speaks back to him. Gave you a resource in your sermon notes this morning. It's probably one of the ones that have meant the most to me. It's Jim Dobson's book, When God Doesn't Make Sense. And to be honest with you, most of the book doesn't make sense. I mean, it's a book about this thick with every story, difficulty imaginable under the sun. And so you're waiting to the end so that you can get to the end to find out what he has to say. And to be honest with you, I usually don't read books this thick. 
it's in a magazine, I'll read that. If it's a book, I won't. So I get to the end, and I'm waiting for Jim Dobson. Jim Dobson, this wise man who I know has found the answer to it, and he simply says this. I get asked all the time, how do you explain the tragedies and hardships that come into life? Why did God do this? My reply is maybe not one you're ready for, but I know it's right. God usually doesn't choose to answer all of our questions. Matter of fact, many times, none of them at all. He doesn't always parade his plans and purposes for our approval. We must never forget that he is God and we're not. As such, he wants us to believe and trust in him despite the things we don't understand. Jehovah never did answer all of Job's question. He may not respond to all of ours. Every person who's had to deal with difficult things, they found themselves dealing with things they didn't understand. If that explanation is unsatisfactory and you can't accept it, then you're destined to walk through life with a weak intellectual faith that may not get as rooted and deep as it needs to be. My strongest advice is that every one of us acknowledge before, if possible, the crisis occurs, that our trust in God is independent of our understanding of what he does. Because if your trust in him is only dependent upon your understanding of what he's doing and why he's doing it, you may never get to the end that he wants you to get to. Nothing wrong with trying to understand, he said, but we can't lean on our ability to comprehend because sooner or later, our intellect is going to pose questions we can't possibly answer. At that point, it would be wise to remember God's word. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than yours and my thoughts higher than yours. Our reply should be simply the one of Jesus in the garden when he said, not my will, but thine be done. When you think about it, he said, there's comfort in that approach to life's trials and tribulations. We're relieved from the responsibility of trying to figure them all out and feeling like we have to have all the answers. Because many times, you won't. And you and I have to decide, will I trust him in those moments or not? Job gives an incredible response, as does God. In chapter 42, there's a fascinating verse in verse 5, where Job and God has had an interaction, and finally Job says this, my Ears have heard of you. I've heard of you, God. I know you're there. I know who you are. But now my eyes have seen you. Which basically said, God, now I understand who you really are, not just what I know about you. What you and I need to remember, though, is that the lamenting can't go on forever. Some people see it like their spiritual gift. They complain about everything. David prayed, sought God, And God just simply said this, okay, David, now get up, go pursue him. Quit praying, go do something. And your sermon knows, do what you and I should do. Some people pray for the lost and never witness the soul. Some people pray for the lost and never witness to a soul. Some pray for the sick, never made a hospital visit. Some people go to Bible studies two or three times a week, but never seem to make application. Nothing wrong with praying and Bible study at all. But the best way to grow in our understanding of who God is and what he's doing is that we do what it says, not just talk about it. Scripture has to be applied. I know people who know the Bible well but are grouchy and miserable to be around, and that doesn't make sense. Sometimes I feel like God would say to us every once in a while, get up off your knees and do something. Sometimes we think God takes a magic wand and takes it all away. God says to David, God, get up, go do what I'm asking you to do. Good therapists know when to tell their clients to quit crying about their problems and do something about their situation. In David's case, God partnered with him and he rescued the people and his family and defeated the enemy. And he did what God was asking him to do. 
What we also need to remember, though, is in verse 6, or number 6, don't take shortcuts. Do not take shortcuts. In 1 Samuel chapter 24, Saul was alone. He was leading his men and been running from, David's been running from him for years, and all of a sudden Saul shows up, go off into a cave somewhere alone, and David's men, even using Scripture to back it up, say, this is the day the Lord spoke of, and he's put your enemy into your hands. Go get him. David sneaks up, cuts the corner of Saul's robe off, and realizes that that sounded like good advice, but it was the wrong thing to do. It was a shortcut, and David knew it. Shortcuts can damage our soul. We have to be careful. Maybe you're in a cave of singleness right now, and you just want to mate whatever it takes. Maybe you're in a bad marriage, and that cave of that bad marriage seems like it's going to be there forever, and you have someone at work who seems so nice. Maybe it's a financial cave, and you think, if I could just change the numbers a little bit, refuse to take shortcuts. God clearly, clearly knows exactly where we're at when we're in deep valleys. Jesus had it all. Your sermon knows he gave it all up, came to earth. He had fame, friends, popularity, an incredible following, but then it all went away. He was betrayed, beaten, put on a cross, and died. He was taken off the cross and put where? In a cave where God rescued him and changed the world forever. Sometimes God does his best work in your sermon notes in a cave. What I have to decide is, will I trust him or not? David in Psalm 30 said, I will exalt you, Lord. You lifted me up out of the depths. You didn't let my enemies gloat over me. I called you and you helped me. You brought me up out of the realm of the dead. You spared me from going down to the pits. Sing praises to God, you his faithful people. His anger lasts only a moment, but his favor lasts a lifetime. Weeping may stay for the night, but rejoicing comes in the morning. You turn my wailing into dancing. You remove my sackcloth and clothe me with joy, that my heart may sing your praises and not be silent. Lord, my God, I will praise you forever. What I love about David is that he will go through some of the most honest, deepest, emotional confessions and situations you can ever imagine. And then work through the process to come out the other side and say, God, you are amazing. Thank you for being with me in it all. You are not alone. This morning we're going to end with communion. It's an opportunity for you and I to remember what Jesus went through for us. That he gave us all so that we could have life and we can have it forever. He gave it us all so all of our sins could be washed away as far as the east is from the west. One of the things I love about the renditions of Scripture and the different versions in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John is each one of them paints a little bit of a different portrait of this large picture. And in John, one of those sections where Jesus comes back twice to validate his resurrection, he appears to his disciples once. Thomas said, I won't believe until I see it. And so Jesus honors that request and comes and sees him. Thomas looks at his hands where the nails pierce in his side, where the spear pierced, and he said that classic phrase, my Lord and my God. The only time or the first time in Scripture those two were brought together. I not only have my Lord and my Savior, I have my God. What's fascinating about the interaction between the two is that Thomas now realizes that he has a God who retained his wounds. We have a God who understands where we're at. 
We have a God who knows how we feel. We have a God who knows what we're going through. We have a God who has been beaten and wounded and retained those scars and reminds us by that that I will be with you even to the end of the age. This morning while we take communion and the ushers come in a moment and they share it with you, you're going to notice, gentlemen, you can start coming now. You're going to notice that everything is in the same tray, bread and a cup are the same one. Take them, help the person beside you if necessary. Hold it for a little while and then I'll lead you together at the end. But what I'd love for you to do in those moments while you're holding it, spending some time with Jesus, is to, if indeed you're in some deep waters or if indeed you know somebody who is, just spend some time being really honest with God about what you're going through and what you feel. Or maybe it's not you praying with someone or for someone who is. And then I'll lead you together in it.
you sing, though Satan should buffet, though trials should come. Though Satan should buffet, though trials should come, let this blessed assurance control. his rendition of what took place in the upper room that he says a statement that none of the other authors did in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John when he just simply says this even when he was, while he was being betrayed, he took the bread and the cup knowing what he was dealing with knowing what he was going through knowing all of that he took the bread and he said this is where you're going to find life he took the cup and said this is where you'll find forgiveness all of them because I love you and I know exactly where you are I know exactly what you're going through and I'll be with you forever take the bread then the cup and share with him Father words fail to say thank you it seems so insignificant considering what you've done for us and what you offer us you'll never leave us or forsake us even if you walk through the valley of the shadow of death you'll be with us so for some of my family friends here this morning who are walking through deep waters have or will I pray that you will continue to remind them of your amazing grace and your incredible love as they walk through that for many who are right now continuing to walk through it and wonder about it in these next 24 48 hours all across the south may your grace overwhelm them and may many who love you surround them with the answer to life itself in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Specifically wanted to set a tone this morning based on the context of the message. Even if, mercy me, oh my soul, casting crowns. If you have not heard them before, you got to come listen to them. Next Sunday morning, we're going to do the same. We're going to set the tone for the message and the service. We're going to end next Sunday morning with worship and celebration. Love to have you here. God bless you. Have a great day. If it is not well with your soul, let me know. I'll pray for you this morning. Family experience takes place in 10 minutes, kindergarten to fifth grade. See you there. God bless you.